This is the Diaspora Dialogues podcast. My name is Helen Walsh, and I'm the president of DD. DD helps emerging writers turn their craft into a career, and in doing so, we produce both professional development seminars and public talks right across the country. We record those talks in order to make available to you all the great learnings and conversations. In this next episode, which we recorded in Winnipeg, Manitoba, our speakers look at how to best promote yourself for your book. It's really good for first-time writers or even those who have yet to pitch their manuscript to learn from professionals on what considerations happen when you want to get your manuscript bought from a publisher or once you already have a deal on what you need to do in order to make your book sell and to get the media attention that you want for what you've just spent years writing. So we hope you enjoy it. The sound recording is not like it was done in a studio because it really was an informal conversation, but because you won't get these tips anywhere else, we wanted to bring it to you in this podcast. Agencies before moving to Calgary. 
Klein, for whom she has developed and executed uh, publicity campaigns, included the Portuguese National Tourist Office, the Jamaica Tourist Board, Air Canada, Procter & Gamble, Harborfront, a whack of organizations. Uh, and she's also done individual authors and individual books as well. Uh, she's a member of lots and lots of things, and uh, I'll let her speak uh, to her experience on all of that when it's returned. But first, thank you, Arlene, for being with us. Thank you. Um, so I'll just um, start off by saying that when um, Helen first invited me to be on this, uh, participate in this workshop, I thought, um, well, we're a tiny press. We don't have a marketing strategy, per se, or a marketing department, because we're a tiny staff, and we publish on the smaller end of, um, of uh, uh, book publishing in Canada. Um, so I don't, I don't feel like qualified to you know, represent that. But um, talking with her a little bit, I sort of realized that actually, yes, we do have like, we do have marketing strategies. It's just that when you're in book publishing, putting out the books comes first and marketing stuff and promotion just kind of gets pushed to the bottom of the pile. But there is a range of stuff that we do for every book across the board. And then there's uh, more, as um, Helen just mentioned, targeted strategies for that are developed with the author for specific books. So yeah, so um, ARP, we publish a combination of um, books on progressive politics and social justice issues, and those are um, academic and sometimes non-academic, um, and then we also publish more uh, experimental or radical or marginal literary work as well, so novels and poetry and things in between, metafiction sometimes. Um, and then we have a series um, called the Semaphore series that are these short tracts that are on timely cultural political issues. Um, and so we, so just to give you an idea of what we do, as I talk, I'm just going to pass around um, so you can see like our production values and stuff because that is part of the marketing and promotion of a book is um, for us specifically, we publish fewer books and we, we like them to be very high quality in terms of the, the production values and everything. So um, I'm just going to pass a few around for each and every book that we put out. Um, basically, as soon as we have a contract with the author, of an author questionnaire that they fill out, and that um, uh, within that, we ask them to outline a specific range of things, including a description of the book, why they wrote the book, and, and, and at the beginning of this questionnaire, we, we say everything that is included here can be um, used within our promotional materials in the future. So that's something that we like um, kind of work out as we go forward, but it's something to start with because they know their book inside out before we do. Um, and, and often it's not, um, you know, books come to you in various stages of development. So um, in their minds, they have uh, a clearer concept right off the bat than you do. Um, we, we also ask them to write and you know, this is stuff that they, they may, may, we may or may not end up using. Um, hooks, keywords, and tags to be used in social media, and, and even tweets, if they can come up with um, potential tweets that would be used. Um, again, these are preliminary, so then we work with them going forward, but this is sort of stuff to, 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 start, to start us off. 
Um, the names of similar books, uh, the names of potential uh, blurbers, so people who can provide advanced quotes on the book that they would think would be appropriate. Um, for some of the academic works, even course titles and institutions where those courses are taught, where the, this book might be good for course adoption. Um, we have, uh, we ask them whether they have contacts with um, specific organizations or associations that are connected to the subject matter of the book, whether they have um, booksellers or um, bookstores that they know or have, have um, specific contacts with. And then we have like um, questions regarding whether you as an author are comfortable talking to the media, what, uh, what your um, level of comfort is in terms of like engage public engagement, public speaking, and that kind of thing, so that we have a clear idea. Um, <clears throat> so for every book, we do uh, social media, so Twitter, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and our website. And I brought some catalogs here. I didn't bring enough for everybody, but if anybody's interested, this all 2018 catalog. Um, we do, when the book comes out, we do uh, medium mailings and we do advanced reading copies. Advanced reading copies are something that um, we, we have a short, we have a shorter production period than larger presses like area, like the university presses or some of the bigger presses. Um, so we often will do e-arcs instead of arcs um, just because we're scrambling to get books out all the time. <laughs> um, the, uh, we do trade shows, we do events launches, um, we do uh, Book festivals, um, when, when we can, we talk to the, the author. That's one of the more targeted things. We talk to the author about you know, events and uh, like, like um, uh, book festivals that they would be interested in attending and, and work out whether it's appropriate for the book, whether we have travel, money. That's the financial element also plays into it in a large way because we have, um, well, there used to be a touring grant at the Canada Council, but they offered, but they folded it into operating, so that sort of shrinks it <laughs> a bit. So that's all kind of dependent. Um, and then, and then we do print advertising as well, and that's like um, again, like these are all at sort of various stages of um, the production schedule and the release. Um, and then after the book, that's when um, comes out you. You don't you don't stop you you continue with that legwork and you know um, of course uh, some some authors are very online and very connected and do promotion like that but social media even though it's useful is not the be all end all and it uh, it's a very useful tool but it's just part of the whole picture so that's kind of the snapshots of the stuff we do. All right, so um, I um, am in this unusual position of being both an author who works to publish my books with other publishers and working for a publisher as a publicist. Um, and one sort of led out of the other. Um, my first book came out in 2010, and it was a book of poetry about uh, pregnancy and mothering. And it came out with a tiny press, and I lived on the prairie, so outside of the center of power. And I was like, oh. I've basically written the book that will disappear completely without a trace unless I figure out how to get it some attention. Um, and so I sort of figured out how to do book promotion out of that. Uh, my background is in journalism, and so, I mean, 
communications, PR, journalism, it's all sort of similar, um, but uh, I didn't have any specific PR experience. And so I've been with University of Manitoba Press now since 2011, um, and I really enjoy it. Um, we do um, sort of regional histories, um, indigenous studies, um, immigration and culture, all kinds of stuff. And uh, our indigenous line, we have a couple of different series that we do that uh, focus on indigenous uh, peoples or First Nations. But um, what's interesting is we used to sort of focus, as a regional presses do, we would focus on the stories from here, like the stories that are not getting told elsewhere. Um, and But we've recently started, I think we're on our like fourth book about the Haudenosaunee, which has been really neat. Um, so we're sort of moving around, um, and uh, we did a book about the Stolo um, just this, this season. So we're sort of moving out of not just our specific place. Um, that's our base always, and that's where we focus our attention. Um, but yeah, so we do a variety of things. Um, we still are trying to court traditional media, uh, but we're trying to explore all the options available in social media. Um, because we're a publisher and we're basically disseminating uh, other people's ideas and other people's writing, we see ourselves as like an amplifier. So we're not gonna be taking a lot of controversial stances on our social media, we really just amplify what it is that our authors are doing. Um, and so we have like, you know, a medium, small, but really solid social media following, which I'm really pleased about. And my boss knows nothing about social media, so he's always thrilled, which is the best case scenario, I think. Have someone that knows like very little and then they think you're great. <laughs> um, yeah, and so um, in my life as, as a writer and as my life as a publicist, I really believe in the writing community. I believe in being a part of the writing community. I mean, you can choose as an artist if you want to write, go away, spend five years writing your book, and then come back to the community and launch. But my opinion is, A, that's much less fun, and B, your audience will be much smaller. Um, so I really, my, my opinions about how you promote and publicize books and authors are about telling people or helping people see how they might engage with their various audiences. And of course, I love it when people come to us having already done that. Um, you know, but I had um, a historian uh, who's, uh, he writes books on sort of Mennonite history and culture, and he came to me, summoned me to his office and said, you tell me about social media so I can make my assistant do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, like, he's like, I already, like, he already had all of his ways of communicating with his, his community and with his peers, right? Like, and that was like in the halls, at the university, that was at conferences, that was, you know, over the phone and email. Like, he had figured out, as each generation does, he figured out how to be in touch with the people that he needed to talk to, right? And journals and all that stuff, like all of these ways of being in community. But I was like, well, if you want more people to study Mennonite history, um, you know where those people are, and you know where they're chatting, is online. So it's worth reaching out to them just so you can be like, hey, study Mennonite history. Isn't it nifty? Except they wouldn't say that, but you know. <laughs> um, so you know, like, he still forced his assistant to do it, but at least he wasn't so suspicious. Um, 
But I don't know. So my, I have a bunch of like things that when I look at them as a list, list, I'm like, wow, this is a lot of things, and this would take a whole career. And I'm like, oh wait, that is what building a career is, you know? Like, um, so like specifically, let let's. I'm going to talk about Rooster Town specifically, and then I'll go to my general strategies. Um, and I think we'll probably do that more as a group too. But um, so Rooster Town is a book that we just published. It's been on the bestseller list here in Winnipeg for six weeks, um, three weeks before it was actually published. So they asked to get stock early, um, and people started to notice. So it was on the bestseller list for three weeks, just because people walked by and went, ooh, which is kind of nice, right? And I mean, we can say all we want about promoting books and strategies to promote books, but sometimes there's just books that come out that people are really interested in and people want to read. And you can't manufacture that. As much as you try, you can have the cleverest marketing strategy in the world, but really, and really just riding a wave of like what people want is actually kind of awesome. And when that happens, when we have a book that hits that people seem really interested in and intrigued by, I just try and follow it really well. So whenever someone mentions something, I you know Google the book, or I look on Twitter, or I look at uh, you know on Instagram to see if it, if that who's mentioning the book title, and if they've you know if I notice a pattern of them looking at things all the, a lot, then I'll be like, hey, do you want a review copy? Do you want do you know what I mean? Like I try and follow and take advantage of opportunities. But we did a ton for this book. This is our lead title. We've already reprinted after a week. Um, and um, it was, we had 230 people at McNally's, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that was people as far back as the aisle. And I felt so bad because it was like, el a lot of elderly people came out and they were like, like squished. And I, we even like went up to the front and asked audience people that were sitting if they would give up their seats for people that couldn't stand. And uh, my favorite part was there was this 89 year old woman who sat near the front and she, at the end, she started talking about how she lived in Rooster Town. And she was like, oh, I was born right there. It's right there. Yeah, she was like, no, but she literally pointed to a spot on the carpet and said, that's where I was born. And she told all these stories and was holding up photos. And our author ran to sit with her after. Because, um, you know, you don't get to see these, a lot of these people aren't willing to talk to, to researchers, aren't willing be public with it, ran over to like look at her photos with her, and I was like, this is great. I'm going to take a picture of this, I'm going to post it to our social media, heartwarming all round. Because like everybody had been like, oh, like I was crying during while she was talking. So I went to take a picture, and she's like, no, my brother told me not to get involved and not to be public. <laughs> and we talked, she was 89, her daughter was there with her, her daughter was in her 60s. Her mom admitted that she was Métis the night before. Métis and living in Rooster Town. And they were up all night long talking about it, but she is still not willing to be public with it. So it was really interesting, you know, and you have to be really careful with a lot of these people, you know, you have to, you know, it was, it, I really felt the weight of, you know, everybody likes to take happy photos and everybody likes to share things, but you know, you sometimes there's that what not share and how to be careful with people. So anyway, so that's what I try and do as, as a settler working on indigenous titles for sure. Um, but again, because we mostly just amplify what people are doing and don't make any claims of our own, we've been okay so far. And 
the indigenous population in Canada is, and the communities in Canada, I should say, are so supportive of this like amazing resurgence of indigenous art and history and you know thought. And so it's been great to be a part of. Ugh, I'm getting weepy. Um, but we've done a ton of things for this book, both print and online. Um, we had some good media hits here in Winnipeg the week that it happened. Megan Sinclair did a column about Roostertown. Um, there was a review the next weekend. She was on CBC, uh, CBC Radio during the day. So, and then we followed up with some like historian stuff, so stuff in the field that we're working in. And so I don't know, there was lots. Um, and it was interesting because we had an author that wasn't that was at the end of her career, so she's just retired as a, as a as an academic, and um, yeah, she was done. Like she's like, I will do one event, and I don't want to be on TV, and I don't want to do this. <laughs> and P.S. I'm gonna be doing research while I'm in town, so please don't book things on these days. And I'm like, you know, we're paying to bring you in. <laughs> And it's great if you could fit your research around the media that we are paying to bring you in for, <laughs> you know. But it was it was so funny because she was um, she was less interested in that part. She's like, and I kept on selling her the, sending her the bestseller list, and she's like, oh, I've never been a bestseller before. And I was like, yes. And her husband is also a prof, and he had a textbook that you know and. People tend to follow their Amazon rankings, which, <laughs> let me tell you, mean nothing. Generally, the Amazon rankings, if you ever have a book out and you look at, they split the pie so many ways. Anyways, but he, she's like, oh, I'm only interested in beating my husband's textbook in the Amazon rankings. Like, literally, that's it. That's all she's interested in in terms of marketing and promotion. That's, that's when the book is a success for her. Um, in terms of my own work, um, I have published a couple of books of poetry and I'm moving into another genre. And so I have really tried, ha have had to try and, as I'm switching genres, to not switch, but <coughs> find those communities that are doing the thing that I am now doing. I've been really comfortable in sort of the poetry community, but now I'm sort of moving into like creative nonfiction types and more nature writing, more straight, what would be considered more straightforward nature writing. So there's been a lot of like shifting, but not. So anyways, um, yeah. But I think maybe I will quit talking because I think I've been over my five to seven. I have a page of strategies which we can talk about after, but we're not. But I'm gonna let you go next. When I go to the dentist and he says, why are you grinding your teeth? It's from authors like that that say, I don't want to do interviews this way, that, and, and I haven't paid attention to any of that coverage, so I understand. So I am in, I've been in the publicity since most of your business since uh, God invented publicists, so I go way back, and absolutely am passionate about it, and passionate about authors, the, people trying to express the written word, passionate about reading, um, love stories about people that, that get, it turns into a movie, it turns into a Netflix. I love all this. I get weepy about hearing our Canadian voices, our voices of diversity, our, verse, our voices of indigenous peoples, and I become passionate and mad because we don't have more of it. So, so you've got my full attention and I'm thrilled to be here and thank you so much for putting this 
together and organizations like um, Diasporas Dialogues are really special and very unique in our country and uh, we're lucky to have them and that they don't want to be making a fortune in the resource sector or in the package good business or whatever and we've got them for us to support us. So I'm also a very practical person and I'm going to give you the definitive formula that I'm going to stick up over here so I'm going to all write it down. This is an acronym, acronym. C3 high, C3 high, C3 high. And I, I'm going to just quickly walk through what these letters stand for, but I want you to get them on the inside of your foreheads. So when you're thinking about publishing after you've created this brilliant child called your book, your poem, whatever, you've got to, and you're going to go through all that process. C3 High is your formula. And, um, and I'll just quickly walk you through. And just to try to impress you all with my capability of being adaptable. I've got my speaking notes on my phone and I'm like feeling just really good. My nieces and my nephews are like, Aunt Ro, you've done it this time. So I wanna wanna just give you a bit of a sense of some of these things. Um, so the, and if I now can find out where it is because I just closed the, <laughs> oh, here we go, okay. So um, um, <clears throat> some of you have been published, some of you would like to be published, some of you are in that stage and I'm not sure where you all are, but hopefully in some of the questions we'll get into the, those things. So the first C of course is courage. Courage in a great big dose and, and the courage to express yourself, the courage to say I want to be out there in the public arena. I want someone to read what I've said. I want someone to hear what I've said. I want someone to, I want a wider audience. I think it'll help someone. Courage is one of the biggest things. <clears throat> and some people, well, I'll just, I'll just I'll speak to you about the other C's. The other giant word is collaborate. C for collaborate. And I'll come back to that. Another really important word is chew. Just like you chewed on every single word of the poem, on every single word of the book, you're going to chew on how you're going to promote it and talk and talk about this arena. Um, the next letter is H, and that's do your homework. And just like we talk about doing your homework of finding your publishers, I is for information, and try to remember information in the world of journalism, in the world of publishing, is currency. I want to know about it first. I want to know about it before. I want the inside information about something. Um, D, dream, dream really big. Don't, don't have small dreams. Dream in technicolor and, and, and think out of the box. E is event. Never forget we're living in an event-driven world and a society. So, there's, so I'll just quickly kind of get into a bit of this with you now. So the, the, the courage, of course, I think you kind of all can connect to the courage. Some people will think your child is ugly. Some people will be indifferent towards it. And some people will think it's absolutely terrific. And in the world of journalism, and, and, and try to keep this in mind, especially traditional journalism, 
I can assure you the, 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 the Facebook posts and followers of En Route Magazine are much bigger than you and your families. So try to keep these things in mind when you're thinking about how am I going to get into, I dream big, there's a, there's a, someone's got a, there's a great thing in here in this issue. It's all about food. So five or six books, but cookbooks are in here. So if I'm publishing a cookbook, I should be thinking about these things because I'm collaborating with something bigger than me. And I'm trying to find those kind of environments. Every week, every month, every few, someone is sitting at the Winnipeg Free Press saying, what am I gonna put on the front page of that section front that has to come out every single Friday? <coughs> Have I got a local story? What's going on in town? It's not just about movies. Oh, Rick Mercer's coming to town. Guess what, he's got a book. Might be some interest. And so we're, you're, you're looking for these kinds of somewhat traditional environments, and I'm not disputing social media at all, but there's a way to merchandise what you've done in a, in a, in a, in a variety of ways. Um, timing, I want to just talk to you about timing. Here's a piece that was in, great, great story, um, in the Globe and Mail this week about um, a family that went to Vimy. So a Remembrance Day is such a, a, an easy, so if you think about the E, the event is, it's Remembrance Day, but the editor, the opportunity for you to be connected in some way is probably at the end of summer. What are we gonna do this year for Remembrance Day, someone's thinking, or if it's a magazine or something like that. Do you have a personal story? Do you have a poem? Do you have something that connects to this subject? Is it Christmas? Is it Hanukkah? Is it, is it, is it traditions of some sort? And at the bottom, of course, the name of the author, and, and these are all, can be, you can just submit these online, the name of the author, and, it, and then if there is a connection to what's the event, whose book will be published shortly by and will be coming out in the spring. So there's all these opportunities for kind of trying to get that attention and trying to get that exposure. And there's tons of outlets, but the big piece is you've got to do your homework. There's very, very expensive databases, which are great, but unless you've got access to them in a, at, in a university, that it's really hard to get that. But your libraries are huge sources, and your library memberships are huge sources, because if you're publishing, if you grew up in a rural part of Manitoba, in a rural part of the prairies, what's the little newspaper in that community? What's the radio station? Is there a regional one? Are there opportunities for you? Um, you are going to be published. Well, where are your audience? Who cares about those things? Other prairie women, we just heard about, you know, where we're talking about. So where are those opportunities for your, and truly, um, now that pot's legal, I'd have had a glass of wine and said, let's just think out of the box and get a few friends around a table with more glasses of wine. What is the big things we can do together? Well, now you can enjoy whatever you're going to enjoy. So, so, um, so that's kind of some pieces about the, how it all connects together. 
And um, if you can try to re remember some of these things when you're thinking about these things. The other piece is publishers are swamped and the publicist, I don't care who the publisher is, out of every publishing house is swamped with other assignments. And if you just look at this catalog, how the heck are you gonna get at least a month's worth of time on every single one of these books? You've got, you're spread so thin trying to get this much attention. So if there's some way that you can support your publisher and say to them, you know, I, I, can I take a crack at the news release? I mean, the publicist and the publishing house will love you, but if there's some way you can somehow help, or, you know, um, I'm happy to kind of walk around to the all the radio stations and to the newspapers and to the TV stations in Winnipeg, <coughs> and I'll actually deliver the book or deliver a, a, a press release about the book. Yes, you can do it online, but how are you going to stand out? Um, I'm going to do a bookstore appearance. Here's a classic one. I was I spent last Sunday in the... Chinook Center in Calgary, chapters, $8 million a year in sales. Out of that, six of it is in the young adult area, all the teenage literature. And it was Sunday afternoon, and there must have been 30 kids in there, ranging in age from about 10 to 12, just on the floor, reading, grabbing books off shelves, and, and, and um, reading, reading these books. Six million dollars in sales to that audience in a year. One store, one store in the chapters changed. That's a lot of books, right? So if you think about, so then I said to the guy, what happens if um, you self-publish? Would you let people come in and come and do a promotion in here? Absolutely, he said. And he said, we kind of make a deal. We take a big percentage of what the book is. So if you self-publish, he will let you come in. And he said, but most of the authors sit in the table in the corner expect our sales staff to bring open customers over to them. We're not going to do that. He said, I'll give you the best example. A woman came into the store. She had a children's book, and there was a wishing well in it. So she fills the wishing well in chapters. People come in, and she walks up to them and said, would you like to take a coin and, and put a coin in my wishing well? Well, and she sold tons of books. Another, a woman came in with her cookbook and she started cooking. I mean, so, you know, and giving out samples. So there's lots of connections and that's not, you know, there, there's just lots of opportunities. And if you're thinking about collaborating, get together with four other writers. If you all meet at Starbucks, call yourselves the Star, the Stars Coffee Group or whatever you want to do it because collaboration and working in teams gets more attention. Um, so, so I do know of a group of poets in Toronto uh, <coughs> who got together, the four of them, and they they came up with, they went for beer, and they came up with the name of a collective. And then once they had a name of collective, and it goes back to Ariel's point, is that you're really your, your single first best promotion is by fellow writers and Like It cannot be underscored how, how much of a marketing support that is. But this collective now that they're a collective after one beer, they uh, and they designed themselves a little pitch package, and all of a sudden I run into them. I'm at the Edinburgh Literary Festival a couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, a couple years ago. They're performing, and then six months later, and in Dublin for the Literary Festival, they're performing. They're a collective, so now they can apply to Canada Council for grants for travel and for creation grants. Like it's. But it is worth noting they all were established poets. 
before. You're talking about Yoko's dogs, right? No, it's no in the Catholic oh. Rams group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, again, they, they were, were all established posts. Yeah. They were all established posts. Yeah. But, the, but getting to, and you do have to have at least one book out in order yeah. to be able to do that. But the power of, the power, the power of community, right, of, of, of going regularly to monthly reading stories uh, and connecting with other people that will help you promote the book Sorry, Rosemary, did no. I cut you off before I open it up? Sure, I th that's, good. that's good. I think I'm, I'm ready, happy to listen to questions if you want. Okay. Go ahead. I want to make a comment that I actually met a fellow that published a book when he came over here at 17 years old. <coughs> it's called The Belfast Child. He actually went around the world, very interesting enough, on all the Irish events going on because he's from Ireland. And he got so Perfect. much attention to his books. And then he said he wrote six more books, uh, probably about Ireland and everything. And now he said he actually got uh, interested in turning it into a movie. Like, I said, wow. You know, so all that work paid off, all his traveling around the world to everywhere, Irish festivals and wherever Irish events. He was on the radio, the TV. They really picked up strong. And that was his first book he's ever published, Belfast Child. And he came over to Ireland, Canada, when he was 17 years old. And he even published chapters in his book about the interaction with the Aboriginal people here. Then he wrote a bunch of poems in the book. He said, I wonder if I could extract the poems and put it for $1.99 on Amazon and sell the poems as a separate thing outside the book. I said, well, that's an interesting idea. And did he? Yeah, he did. You know, because it's more publicity, right? You just extract the poems. You still sell the book on Amazon, whatever. He actually had lineups at the uh, Kildonan Mall, the book. I said, what's with all these people in line? I said, they all want to buy the Belfast Child book. The, the manager of the store couldn't believe the lineup that he attracted. He had a great big banner sign of the exact replica of the cover of the book. I said, well, people are attracted. And then he actually met writers and other people that were connected to the book. It was very interesting. I actually videotaped it for him. The manager of the bookstore was amazed. Do we have a question here? Sure. So this is more around like you had, um, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. From Ariel. Ariel. Um, when you talked about timely issues, right? So just so you have an idea about something that you're thinking, wow, there's a lot of conversations that are going on right now. I see this kind of reflected in the work I'm doing, but you haven't got a product yet. So in terms of like, how would you say suggest that, like uh, pitching that, like going to say press like yourself, whatever, saying, you know what, I've got this idea and I think it's kind of fairly timely, <clears throat> but if I sit down and then create it and knock it all out and all that type of stuff, that's going to be nine, ten months down the line, and I may have sort of missed a boat. You, I, would you be open to collaborating around that or? Um, because we do book length things and books take years to write and then books years to go through production or usually a year, at least a year and a half, two years to go through production. You can't really predict that your work, timeliness is a really hard thing to grasp because you don't know what the news cycle is going to do and what world events are going to do and what your community is going to do. So if you have a sub, something that you're working on that's really timely, I'd say write an editorial, write an essay, try and publish that. And then if your larger goal is a book, keep working on that and hopefully it'll still be timely. But unfortunately, there's no way to predict timeliness. Right, like what you have, unless you have the book finished, even if you have the book finished now, it won't be published for, unless, if you're self-publishing, maybe you can get it out quickly, but any, I mean, we're pretty quick and we're, 
like what a year and a half what about you guys yeah well I mean this series the 74 series is specifically for timely books and the production schedule for this is about a year yeah um, so yeah it, it and often the books that are take advantage of that timeliness are the books that emerge in a moment where the timing is right, right? Like they've already gone through that whole process and they're, they come out. And sometimes books create a conversation. And to answer your question, um, the, uh, there was a time when we would have considered a proposal that where, where there wasn't a writing sample, but that time has passed. That doesn't happen anymore. You have to have a chunk of writing, or at least with some of these people, they've written articles already on the same subject matter, and they can, and it's and it's a piece of writing that they can expand and make sense as a book. Um, but if you just come to us with an idea, that's not enough. Yeah. Traditional publishing, like traditional nonfiction publishing, people used to get those. You'd hear stories about white men getting massive advances and going and traveling somewhere for, mm -hmm. you know. But that's. I you think that was more Canada of a Council, legend you than anything else, and I don't think it happens anymore. You could, you could, um, you know, uh, apply for a grant to the Canada Council with previous writing and a concept, and 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 possibly get that grant in order to develop a manuscript. A lot of writers do that, but um, with the publisher, there's very few who are going to just accept a proposal. Yeah, and, and that year and a half is from. <clears throat> Like, well, I guess it depends. It also includes pitching, but usually people pitch with the manuscript, a manuscript, yeah. right? They have a proposal and then a full manuscript, and then, yeah. So, unfortunately, the the publishing, with the excess shelf publishing, can be quicker, but traditional publishing is publishing is not super quick. We're sort of a long game more than a short game, if that makes any sense. What's the usual process for a, a book with? Um, Lots of photos and drawings. Do you want, you guys do a lot of graphical stuff. We can talk about that too. Yeah, um, this is from this year, Stolen City. Um, there's over a hundred image, images in here and I'd say 90% of them required permissions from many different sources. Um, this was like a very well-researched um, book and it, the, the author took seven years writing this book. So he spent probably the past year just working on, not just working on permissions, but it, it took that long and I was working with him. Normally the, it would be the responsibility of the author to require permissions, but because there were so many and they're so, from so many sources, we had to collaborate in order to get the book out on time, <laughs> basically. Um, now that basically, it depends on how on how strict you are in terms of following the legal um, legality of things. Um, there's a lot of image permissions that are tied up in archives where they have the holdings, but they don't have the the actual um, permission or the uh, the legal rights over the image. But they also don't know who does hold the legal rights, and there's this kind of like tangle of of things and there's a certain point where you make a decision. There, there are gray, sometimes gray areas and you just decide yes or no. You, have, you come to a wall and you have to decide basically. Um, what about so, cost for images too? Yeah, there's also that. Um, there's a, you can work a budget in advance into a book like this for image permissions. And, and those are largely black and white in there, right? These are all black and white, yeah. yeah. 
Um, so there were a few that required um, fees. Those were mostly from uh, the Winnipeg Free Press. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, uh, you sort of uh, feel your way through it. Um, but the sooner you know how many images you, you know, might be in the final product and where those might be coming from, the better. And as I said, that's normally, it, it, the responsibility is with the author to obtain those permissions and hand them over to the publisher. So in, in terms of production, mm -hmm. uh, when you're writing their manuscript, do you leave the images out and just put quotations on one list here? Um, or, yeah, I mean, if you are, if, if what kind of a book, I mean, it depends on the type of book that you're talking about because, um, I mean, Owen, for instance, had, like it's a it's a huge historical arc here, so um, there's a sort of general chronology to it. He didn't have very specific ideas as he was writing where images would go because when he was writing, he wasn't even at the point of obtaining image images or image permissions. So it depends on how you're approaching your writing. Um, but yeah, if you have like ideas that are that specific, then yeah, you could you could note them as you go if you're if you're if you know exactly what you want and where it should be. Um, and then, yeah, you would work with the, the editor and the publisher. Yeah. I was talking to one author, and um, he was saying he just wrote the whole manuscript, and uh, somebody else did the images. Right. Thought, wow, how does that even work? Yeah, I know that, what that kind of happens all the time. <laughs> um, it was Lake Agassiz. So Bill Redekop. Right, yes. Um, so Great Plains worked with him to get photos. Yeah. Um, and that's... Yeah, and that's probably the kind of book it is. And But yeah, uh, with us, we have done some art books, um, and usually they come with some grant money attached um, because they're very expensive to produce. Um, similarly, with photo books, we have tended to do black and white, books of black and white photographs, both because they're in line with the kinds of books we do, like um, <coughs> historical books. So we did like a collection of LB Foot photos. Um, and, you know, but we can't, I mean... There becomes a time where we just are like the, the for the number of books you can sell, it, it's not cost effective to do. Like we found that photo books, with the exception of John Paskovich's North End book, photo books do about eight hundred. You sell about eight hundred copies, um, but they cost about fifteen thousand dollars to print, and you have to try and print as many as you'll need, ever, because you can never afford to reprint them, right? Like it's just. And art books are the same way, um, you know. As you can, there's only so many corners you can cut, right? And for instance, that book, "The Land We Are," um, that ARP did and did a beautiful job of. Um, one of our authors, Sophie McCall, who's involved in that one, um, came to us with that, and we were like, "Ooh, look at all the color illustrations!" And so we didn't. And plus, because it's a hybrid, critical, creative book. Uh, the format, it just didn't really fit within our mandate. So on the both the, ooh, expensive, and the um, not quite our thing thing, we were like, ARP is great. You should go with them. Yeah. <laughs> and you did. Look, you did such a beautiful yeah. job. I remember being jealous when that one came out because I was like, it's so pretty. I wish we had done it. But, you know, like a lot of times academics for us come with some funding. Like they apply for these large multi-year grants. And if there's a book project, they often will have a little bit of money set aside. So they'll go, it's important to me that some of the photos in my book are in color. And we're like, okay, so 
they and it's not that's not vanity publishing that's not self-publishing that's just the economics of how much it costs to print a book and the way that academics structure their research and you know and writing um but yeah so i don't know it's it visuals are tough i mean they're great they're what makes big books good and as we should all strive to make as beautiful books as we can both as self-publishers and as publishers right um, because the first thing if you're self-publishing your book the first thing that someone's gonna go, hmm, no, is if your cover is terrible and your paper stock is terrible and your interior layout is terrible. Um, it doesn't matter what the words are like. The words words can be the most incandescent, radiant, flowering, beautifulness, mm -hmm. but if the package um, isn't good, then you'll turn people off, right? So we strive, even though we're an academic president, um, in the past, you'd see academic books, and they'd be like, a blue cover, <laughs> a title. That's it. That was book design in 1950 and 60. And that was enough because there was this audience of people that would buy it. It didn't matter what it looked like. But we really try and hit both academic and trade audiences. And so we really want to make things beautiful. My colleague and I are both like, we need to use silver foil and embossing on one of our books. <laughs> we've used spot gloss. We've, used, we've had French flaps. Um, and this is a fun fact. French publishers don't call them French flaps. They, we just call them flaps. <laughs> I asked once, I'm like, because there are two French publishers in town. I was like, so what do you call these flaps? Just call them flaps. <laughs> I'm just wondering around, um, looking at the websites for like publishers, literary agents, they talk about uh, being interested in people who have platform, platforms already. So I'm just wondering if um, you can speak to how much value that holds or what that may look like for someone who is a new writer or an emerging writer? We, we place less focus on that. We want a good manuscript, that's number one. We understand that not everyone is, is great with social media and that not everyone is a great speaker. And so we, we place less emphasis than larger presses on that specific on that specific thing. And I'd say we're in the same boat. Yeah. I mean, we're more interested in the ideas, and what we try and do is take all books by authors that have a smaller profile and uh, disseminate information about them to our networks. That's what our networks are for. It's not just about amplifying the popular authors or the star authors. It's about giving an audience to less, yeah. to people that don't have that platform. And we're looking for emerging authors, too. Yeah. So. We do a lot of, yeah, first-time books. In our experience with the dialogue fiction publishing venture is generally uh, unimportant. Um, and so, but it, you can't fake it, right? So there's multiple ways. I mean, at the end of the day, they just want to know that A, do you have some kind of network to help me sell these books? And B, are you willing to trust? So if you already have some kind of anything, whether that's you know, Instagram would probably be the most important right now. Goodreads would actually, Goodreads is the most important, we, we really say. So, you know, do you write, uh, do you write book reviews on Goodreads? That's the number one vehicle, according to BookNet, for selling, for, for helping referrals. So, so, Goodreads, Instagram, you know, down the line now is Twitter and Facebook and, and um, but it could be, do you speak at conferences? Do you, yeah, like there's a myriad of different ways that you can help. Mm -hmm. And by listing any of them, it just shows that you are trying, like you're willing to work with your publisher. 
to, um, and I'm sorry I'm drinking cough candy while I talk, uh, willing to work with your publisher to, um, to uh, help come up with books. Yeah. And that's oh sorry no that's that's part of the purpose of our author questionnaire yeah. not to to downplay because those things are very useful and that's why we ask for them. Yeah. My experience is if I'm trying to get you interviewed and um, I'm talking to a radio producer or a, or a TV person in another community that doesn't know you. Um, I really need your website to show the person what you look like, what you sound like, which, um, so they can get a sense of that. And um, it's really helpful. It's, it's, it's just a, it's a great vehicle. And on the website, it's really, really helpful to have some downloadable high-res photos that can be used because the media, in our experience with our work too, uh, if, you, if they're not on the website, the media won't wait for 30 seconds to get you to send them. Like if you're at a commission for five minutes or 10 minutes while they're trying to finish their story, if those photos aren't on the website, uh, the story runs zero versus zero, um, even for the, for the events that we do. Uh, so and it, it only has to be one, but it just has to be one good shot, and it has to be up there on the website or you can download it. I find, though, I don't think we can all I mean, when people say, here are the five tips for making yourself internet famous, the problem is everybody is reading those articles. And everybody is following those five tips. So, and we're not all going to be stars. Like, that's just the reality, right? And that's okay. It doesn't mean, I'm, I'm a little dubious about um, star culture, but what makes someone a star author isn't always quality. It isn't always, it's this weird combination of things that you don't have any control over. Um, yeah, and we've had a lot of that discussions about some of that, right, in Candlet over the past yeah. couple of years. So I don't know. I, I I don't always think that more popular equals better mm -hmm. or more interesting. But um, one of our first time authors, um, who well, first time poet, uh, we published her book last year, Leslie Bilal. She's a PhD student and she has five kids. She doesn't have any extra time. She doesn't have an extra second. And her book went on to win the Pat Lowther Memorial Award. So, you know. Sure, if you win an award, you're nominated for an award. Yeah. That's Yeah, and that, you know, and that's because of the quality of the book. She didn't do any, anything on social media, you know. Yeah, so, I, I interviewed her for something. It was super funny. Yeah. And she was like, oh, my kids. Oh, yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. I swear. Yeah. <laughs> like, she could barely make it to one launch, you know? Yeah. So maybe that's not what, what uh, is um, uh, the purpose of this panel, but it's just to, you know, well, I think to it's helpful to know. Because as yeah, a, yeah, as exactly. It's hard yeah. to know where to put time and focus. Right. right. Is yeah. it crap? Oh, obviously. It's you crap. should always. The answer is also. everything. You should do everything <laughs> yeah. at all the time. <laughs> but, and but you should be us, completely comfortable doing any kind of speaking. Yeah, you have to be able to do it all. Yeah. Yeah. But um, for us and for, for Ariel, uh, Ariel's Press, the, the manuscript number one. Yeah. Um, you said Instagram is really high. So what does an author post? Like, that's what I'm confused by. What I would do is just go on the thing and look up the writers you like and see what they've got. Right? And then you can I post... A lot of writers on Twitter, but I yeah, it, a lot of people post the same stuff okay. on the different 
I mean, it varies, but what I think is a good and sort of workable thing is think about the places where you hang out, both in real life and online, and figure out how to promote yourself there. It's good to investigate areas you're not in, but as again, we only have so much time. So why not figure out how, if, you, if there are people like you, if you enjoy being on a particular platform, in a particular bookstore, in a particular community, figure out how to be, a, to be more engaged. Figure out how to promote there and figure out how to be an artist there. Not just promote. I think being an artist first is actually what's more important. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I will say, sorry. Oh, so I was just going to say, the value of Twitter, and I, I, I mean, I'm not a huge social media person, I'm in fact, I, I do it pretty evenly, but uh, is to be able to pitch media directly, like, you know, Rosemary was saying the other day to me that she only now pitches coverage through DMs to journalists, and it's true, every journalist I know doesn't want to hear a pitch from any publicist or from anybody else except through direct messages. Like they See, don't but want an email, they don't want to know from it, they just, you know. It's not the case with us. Doesn't it? No. I, like both. So I've, 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 yeah. yeah, I've, I've gotten coverage through DMing somebody on Twitter. Yeah. And also, I mean, yeah, it's like Erin Balser, she wants emails, she wants you to send her her catalog, the yeah. catalog or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, for both. We work sort of more on developing relationships with media outlets, and then, you know, then you pitch them things. And then because they tr trust that you have good content and interesting stuff, then they say yes. Yeah. That's more so what we sort of Yeah, go and they'll with. even come to you. What and else we have lots of people come to us, yeah. and then you just respond. But yeah, but they are all emailing. I don't get, I get a few DMs, like Twitter, people asking for stuff. But Twitter, I feel, is good for getting stuff out there and re people retweeting and stuff like that. Instagram, I feel, well, I've... I've gotten manuscripts through Instagram that, like, and I've acquired manuscripts through Instagram, and I haven't had that happen through the other two platforms. I was going to say, in relation to Twitter, um, if you have a finished manuscript, there are events on Twitter where you can actually pitch agents with a quick line, and they'll be able to say, "Yes, I want to see your manuscript." It's called Pitman. It's very, very, yeah. very popular. It's very popular, but you have to have a finished manuscript. But it really, it works. Mm -hmm. But the, I mean, okay. So how many do you ever deal with agent people, authors with agents? Yes. Yeah. So we never do. Um, so it's there's slightly different spheres, and I've known writers that have spent ten years of their writing life pitching agents instead of getting books out. So yeah. you can kind of choose what you want to do, <laughs> like you know. Um, well, yeah, it depends on what you're what you're writing. What you're writing yeah. And what you're, if you're writing fiction, you're not going to be coming to university press for the most part mm. anyway. If you're writing, maybe Some poetry, do, yeah. But um, but it depends how what you're trying to connect. And if you're in a small press and you're trying to supplement what they're doing, then it really is trying to figure out what they're doing and what you can do mm -hmm. in addition. I would say that most of the writers that we've worked with who have agents, it's they, they've sent us a submission, not not the agent, and then they're like, oh, by the way, I have an agent. So it's not that the agents are necessarily delivering manuscripts that we want directly. Yeah, I think you were mentioning briefly your experience. I mean, a lot of, it is interesting right now that we've just did a, a topic on pitching agents, mm -hmm. which I, you know, I think works for a whole lot of people. But 
but increasingly not for a whole lot of people, right? And the, the, the market realities of agencies is that advances are less, so percentages are less, so agents are more pressed, so they're delivering less value for the work that they're doing and requiring your manuscript, as you heard uh, Marilyn say from Transatlantic, they're requiring your manuscript to be essentially perfect, right? They're not going to do the development work. Most agents won't do the development work with you. Uh, and so if your agent, it, you know, it, it really is then if, if your manuscript, if you're paying to develop your manuscript, and then you're going to give it to the agent to sell for 15%. If you can get to a publishing house uh, to sell it yourselves, then increasingly people who have several books <coughs> friend of mine, you know, won uh, many awards, uh, and he has four publications. There's five novels in, mm -hmm. award winner, uh, and he has four publications. So I think writers have this interesting choice here, mm -hmm. which is why I think the idea of what you can do to help market is increasingly important. Uh, because whether you're at an independent house or whether you're with a big house, you're going to get about the same amount. In my experience working with multi-platform writers now, you get about the same amount of marketing support, whether you're with ARP or whether you're with Penguin Random House. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, too, Pen, you know, with Penguin Random House, they have lots of resources to throw behind things, but they also prioritize things. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and you are more likely to not be the lead title than you are the lead title, right? Okay. And I don't know about you, but I really try and promote. We have lead titles too, but we try and promote yeah. everything. Right. Yep. You know? Um, but one of the things that is sort of interesting about this time too that I don't think we've mentioned is how do you promote books in an era when traditional, when there are more books than ever before, but traditional media outlets are disappearing? Right? In the five years since my last book came out, half of the places that reviewed my book, that, that wrote articles about my book, have just folded up and gone away. Um, and that's just, no, that's not normal sort of things get to the end of their lifespan and quit. That's just that, you know, it just doesn't exist anymore. Um, and so we're in this interesting period of change um, in terms of like how you find media for your stuff, especially if you're not, if you're from a small place or even a medium-sized place, like trying to get attention as an author. Um, yeah, so it's been really interesting to sort of follow so I don't have the answers to that, but I'm trying to come elaborate ways, strategies that work for our authors and for my books, but it's an interesting question. I think just write the best yeah. book that you know how to write and pitch it and hopefully someone loves it. But you can't over quantify. I think there's no way to quantify that, what makes a good publishable book. Something that's good, that's it. Speaking from, ARP's perspective, we're interested in untold stories, in stories from the margins, in things that are being overlooked but that have contemporary relevance. Those are the kinds of things that are valuable to us. And we know that um, it's not just a matter of, um, it's not just a matter of uh, um, making an existing readership happy, it's a matter of cultivating a readership. We want people to read books on these subject matters, so that's why we're producing these books, which I know is not the case for every press. Yeah. So, so we've run out of time, Alaska. At least for here, not 
We hope you enjoyed this program. Please consider subscribing on your favorite podcast provider. If you're an emerging writer interested in receiving our open calls for submissions or invites to our events, please join our DD newsletter by emailing us at info at diasporadialogues.com with subscribe in the subject line. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>